0: United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic about two It will be very difficult, and not impossible, for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We have a tremendous show for you today. So, my friends, once more, into the fray. Welcome back, and while we had a great show covering regen ag last week, we know that is only part of the story with regards to the food supply and anthropogenic climate change. So along that vein, we thought it would be appropriate to produce a show on how climate change impacts fishing, namely in tropical areas, and how climate change is affecting and will continue to impact the availability of our food supply we gain from the oceans and coastal areas of the world. Further, we'll touch on how climate justice fits in, as well as what options exist to help humankind deal with the changes that have already started to happen. Now, I'll warn you up front that unlike the region ag show last week, this is a very number and stat heavy show. Now, I'll do my best to keep it as simple as possible for you, but I want to give you a heads up in case you're somewhere where distractions are abundant, kind of like my house right now. As we dive into our paper today, titled Climate Change, Tropical Fisheries, and Prospects for Sustainable Development, published just over a week ago on the 4th of August, 2020, I want to remind you, the listener, of a few things. All of the information on this show comes directly from the latest scientific research that is both peer-reviewed ...and has been published in reputable journals. I don't discuss pundits' opinions, news articles, or any other non-science-based information source... ...and I endeavor to even limit my own opinion. As a result, you can accept everything on this show as a verifiable fact... ...and the direct links to any scientific paper discussed is on the citation page of the website southof2degrees.org. If you want to read in more detail... Or honestly, if you're just bored and want to fact check me. To lead off, when I say fishing, I'm not talking about the one off fisherman at the local farm pond in Iowa or an outback billabong in Australia. Sure, your smallmouth bass and barramundi will be affected by a changing climate, but the show today is looking at the communities that rely on fishing, either for financial gain through export or local food security, as well as the populations of both the fish that supply that, as well as the global consumers." Further, when we mention the tropics, know that's defined as the global region between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. And if you aren't familiar with those, it's the region between 28 degrees, 26 minutes and 11.8 seconds north latitude and 28 degrees, 26 minutes and 11.8 seconds of south latitude. Now, it also moves about half an arc second or 15 meters every year, but that's another story. To put this in perspective, 1.3 billion people, or what, about 17% of the world's population, live in tropical areas that are often dependent on fish for food. In fact, when you span the globe, 37% of coastal and urban communities in Southeast Asia, 50% of those in West Africa, and upwards of 90% in some spots within the Pacific Island nations and territories— Depend on fish as a major nutritional source. Further, it is a major economic resource as well. In fact, between 2007 and 2016, the tropics contributed about 50% of the global fish catch, and that's averaged between 80 and 91 million tons of reported catch every year. Now, unreported is another matter. That is worth approximately 96 billion. U.S. dollars. Concurrently, it's not just large-scale fishing operations we're talking about. About a third of that dollar value, and upwards of 90% of the 216 million people working in the fishing industry, come from small fishing operations. Now, this isn't just small locals catching fish either. Rather, many foreign nations pay fees to fish within economic exclusion zones, In the Pacific Island nations and territories, this fee paid by foreign nations makes up anywhere from 30 to 90% of all government revenue. 90%. So when I say this is a critically important subject to many, many people around the world, I'm not even close to exaggerating that. Now that we're caught up on the scale, you may be thinking, okay, Brian, this show would have been a lot shorter if you just told me from the get-go that this was a big deal and moved on. But what I really care about is what's happening now. And to that, I'd tell any of you that have been listening to this show, even for a little while, you know that's not how I work. However, asking about what is happening to this massively important industry is a great concern. So let's dive into that. On a very high level, these fish populations are under threat due to overfishing, habitat degradation, pollution, sedimentation, invasive species, as well as physical and biogeochemical responses to global atmospheric and oceanic warming, sea level rise, deoxygenation, acidification, and altered nutrient concentrations. Now, much of this is due to the increased concentrations of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And while the poles are warming quicker than the rest of the planet through polar amplification, as we've talked about in previous shows, the tropics are often impacted first when it comes to physical and biochemical changes, as the oceans absorb greater than 90% of the excess energy resulting from anthropogenic forcing. Now, according to the IPCC, depending on mitigation pathways comparing RCP 2.6 to RCP 8.5, we are likely to see between a 1.1 and 3.5 degrees Celsius sea surface temperature rise by the year 2100. Further, another paper titled, A Hierarchical Approach to Defining Marine Heat Waves," published in 2016, found that this could be even higher depending on how ocean currents and regional wind patterns change as the planet warms. In fact, marine heat waves in the 99th percentile now occur four times a year, and this is a doubling since 1982. Sadly, they are forecasted to be 50 times more frequent under the RCP 8.5 scenario by 2081 as compared to 1900. Now, warming isn't the only significant impact. As we've discussed before, warmer sea surface temperatures leads to increased water vapor, which, among other things, increases rain. And while I know it seems odd, really odd, actually, to be concerned about it raining on the ocean, in significant quantities, this can cause a freshwater stratification at the surface— Further, ocean pH is expected to drop, increasing acidity and oxygen levels are expected to drop by 3.7% under the RCP 8.5 pathway. So how does this affect sea life, you ask? Well, for many species, it doesn't look good to be honest, but it's likely the worst for coral. For while they dominate the tropical marine habitats, they are by far the most susceptible and sadly... We're already witnessing a die off of unparalleled proportion. You know, speaking of the coral, reminds me back when I lived in Australia in 2017, I headed up to North Queensland and I was excited out of my mind to head to the Great Barrier Reef. It had been on my bucket list for years. And I had grown up reading National Geographics on it, and despite being wowed by some amazing reefs in and around Roatan, Honduras, which I saw back in 2002, and unfortunately those have since died off significantly, but I had heard that the Great Barrier Reef put those to shame, and it took about a two-hour boat ride to get far offshore, and I was treated to a seafloor once I got in the water that was covered in broken brown and white coral. Now, every so often I could see the tiniest speck of the most brilliant blue I had ever seen in and amongst the fractured frames, but it was just enough to let me imagine how truly spectacular it must have been even just 20 years ago. And while I wouldn't consider myself an emotional person, it was the first time where I truly felt a sadness for the planet. And it didn't help having to explain to my young and inquisitive kids how it used to look like a rainbow and why it was now reduced to a barren skeletal heap. If I think about it, I guess the best thing you can equate this to is think of the colors and brilliance of Carnival or Mardi Gras. And then think of walking down those same streets the next morning. They just seem so dirty, dull, and lifeless in comparison to the night before. Well, that's how the Great Barrier Reef struck me. And while severe bleaching events continue to occur at an ever-increasing rate and ocean acidification makes it harder for corals to build their calcareous frames, we may have already reached a tipping point. Even at 1.5 degrees C of warming, some estimate a die-off of between 70 to 90% of the world's coral reefs. As for the fish... Well, that's not as grim, but it's still concerning. Fish are blessed with the ability to relocate as their regional habitat changes. An up to 130 kilometer per decade of poleward shift and 3.5 meters of increased depth has been documented amongst several species. However, tropical fish are more sensitive to temperature variations than their temperate relatives, and deoxygenated water affects their metabolic rate. Now under some estimates tropical fish size will reduce by as much as 20% by 2050 and on the aggregate from all these changes total marine biomass will be reduced between 10.4 and 32.7% by 2100 which brings us right back around to the annual catch which outside the realm of climate change has already increased sevenfold since 1950 now according to our paper today quote Analysis of fish population data shows that the maximum sustainable yield of 235 fish populations over 38 ecoregions has been reduced by 4.1% over the past 80 years, and increases in sea surface temperature have led to negative changes in marine fisheries production in 8 of 47 large marine ecosystems between 1998 and 2016, end quote. In fact, some models suggest a 40% decline in some economic exclusion zones. The paper furthers this dire news by stating, quote, In the tropical Pacific region, more than half of the mainly coastal fish and invertebrate species important to the fisheries are already projected to become locally extinct by the year 2100 under RCP 8.5, end quote. Finally, I want to talk about a term that's important here. Now, if I'm being honest, I hadn't even heard the term a few years ago. But raise your hand for me if you're familiar with the term telecoupling. Actually, if you raise your hand, you can put it down. This is radio of sorts, and I can't actually see you. Or can I? Jared, seriously, put your shirt back on and Marta, you know those socks don't go with that top. Okay, kidding aside, telecoupling is the answer to the question bouncing around your head of... Okay, but how does this all impact me? You see, telecoupling refers to how we are all interconnected as a global society. And as seafood is the most highly traded food commodity in the world, it's important we understand how the entire system works. Now, it's all too easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, that bad stuff is happening to those people over there. So let me give you an example of how this all connects, or telecouples. Now, this example starts with a small pelagic fish called the Peruvian anchoveta. Ever heard of it? Ever ask for a few fillets to toss on the grill in the summer? Nope. Didn't think so. Well, there is a high probability that without it, you would not eat what you do. You see, the anchoveta, which is a type of anchovy and relative to the sardine, is the most heavily exploited fish in the world and possibly the most abundant. They only live about three years or a mere 20 centimeters or eight inches in length and are found within about 50 nautical miles of the coast of Chile and Peru in the Eastern Pacific. Yet this tiny fish is responsible for a significant proportion of fish meal used around the world. In fact, farmed salmon in Norway, Canada, Chile, and the UK, which those provide 85% of the world's farmed salmon, rely almost exclusively on fish meal made from anchoveta. As a result of seasons with pronounced El Nino southern oscillation, when the tiny fish is negatively impacted and populations decline, the world's fisheries find themselves in a bind. So yes, while you may get sustainably farmed salmon from Norway, without the little anchoveta surviving the warm waters off Peru, you may just have to switch to another protein altogether. Now, this is just one example of telecoupling, yet another is, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, how foreign nations pay for rights to fish in another country's territorial waters. Take, for instance, the Pacific Island nations and territories. Between 2014 and 2016, the average annual export of tuna from the region to Japan was roughly 140 million U.S. dollars. However, Japanese fleets operating within the economic exclusion zone, for which they paid said nations, hauled in approximately 1 billion U.S. dollars worth of tuna. All it takes is for the fish to move outside of an economic exclusion zone due to a changing ocean impacted by anthropogenic forcing, and suddenly the telecoupled system collapses— and poor nations that are already faced with a rising tide are now financially impacted and at times even devastated. So what can we do? Well, as it so happens, there are three broad categories that most of the ways to assist small fisheries, communities, and governments fall into. They are ecosystem-based solutions, built environmental solutions, and institutional-based or policy-based solutions. Quote, Ecosystem-based adaptations rely on the management, conservation, and restoration of fish habitats and fish stocks to provide optimal ecosystem services, despite climate change, including sequestration of carbon, to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. Now, built environmental adaptations often involve designing coastal infrastructure to cope with sea level rise in ways that minimize barriers to landward's migration of mangrove and seagrass habitats. Institutional-based or policy-based adaptations include practices and policies that support climate-informed community-based responses to sustain catches within established social governance and economic systems, quote. And this wraps us up with the thought on climate justice and the future of sustainable and telecoupled fishing communities. The small coastal nations that produce so much of the biomass food supply taken from our oceans are most often extremely small carbon emitters. Yet between rising sea levels forcing some nations to relocate and fish stocks that will likely move out of their economic exclusion zones, the small nations face a devastating future. It is on the shoulders of us in the highly developed world to recognize they are our brethren. However small, and we must address the future of our fish supply with them in mind and offering them a seat at the table. Now, the paper's authors make such a poignant note on this that I'll end with a direct quote of their words. The contributions of community-based and ecosystem-based fisheries management to building climate resilience is mediated by how well decision-making institutions fit their socio-ecological conditions, effective communication processes among key stakeholders and key leaders, effective cooperation among groups and political management skills, as well as global action. On climate change. And that wraps up another episode of South of Two Degrees. I do hope you have enjoyed the last several weeks as we've discussed VEX, geoengineering, regen ag, and now fishing sustainability and telecoupling. We've also got a really good show coming up next week, so be sure to join in. And aside from checking out all the latest information on the website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, make sure you keep it south of two degrees.